Welcome to the In Doubt Podcast, where we explore the challenging topics that young adults often face. Each week, we talk with guests who help answer questions of faith, life, and culture, connecting them to our daily experiences and God's Word. For more info on In Doubt, visit indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. Hey, welcome to In Doubt. My name is Isaac. I'm one of the hosts of the show, as well as the pastor at North Valley Baptist Church in Mission, British Columbia. With me on the show today is Andrea Tom. Andrea is a wife, a mother, therapist, and author. So it's great to have you on the show with us today, Andrea. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be with you guys. You know, obviously this isn't a a video podcast, just audio one, so people are only hearing your voice. So I'm just wondering if you could sort of put some flesh to your voice in a sense um, (laughs) by sharing with us just how you came to know Jesus and also just kind of what your day-to-day life looks like right now. Sure. Well, I actually did grow up in the church. I did grow up in a Christian home and I accepted Christ when I was really little. I asked him into my heart. I actually asked him in several times to make sure he was in there. So I had a bit of a confused understanding in those early years. Uh, But when I was a tween more, I started to understand concepts like the holiness of God and the depravity of my sin and repentance and the cost and surrender that comes with discipleship. So it was a much more deep and rich understanding of who God was at that time. And so that's when my faith really started to take root and I started to grow much more deeply in Christ. Um, Through my life, I've really seen him meet me in so many different ways as I've explored uh, different parts of the Christian faith. In high school, I started to to doubt, well, is Christianity true? Because this really is all I've heard about. So I started to explore other religions um, and did come by God's goodness to the conclusion that Jesus was, in fact, the way, the truth, and the life. And then when I went to university, I saw all kinds of Christians from different backgrounds. Well, well now what denomination I am? What are some of the differences there. So I started to explore some of those greater nuances. But uh, up until from that time up until now, I am I'm married. I have three kids. I have uh, one boy in high school and two in elementary school. Um, And I've become very passionate about evangelism so that other people would know the saving grace of God as well. And very passionate about discipleship. Uh, The word of God has impacted my life so deeply through Christ. And it's just my heart for other people to know that power as well. So I've become uh, launched on a journey in the last few years of more writing and speaking to those kinds of ends as well. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks for sharing that with us. It's so good to hear. Um, So anyways, we're going to spend some time in this conversation just talking particularly about women and their engagement with the Bible. But at that point, when I just say that, if there's any male listeners, even though the focus will be on women, I mean, everyone can and I trust will benefit, obviously, from this discussion because there will be overlap. Absolutely. So maybe to begin, Andrea, what is the general sort of landscape of women's engagement with the Bible um, in Canada. I don't know how specific we can get, maybe North America, I'm not sure. But um, yeah, and then how do the cultural trends just surrounding us as well uh, about the Bible influence how women think about the Bible? So yeah, kind of flesh, flesh those out for us. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, different women are going to be coming at things from different angles and different backgrounds. But, you know, one thing that I think of as you ask that question is I went to a Christian writers conference about seven years or so ago in Canada. 
And I came in contact with a lot of agents and uh, publishers of writing, and they told me individually as well as collectively to the group of people that were there that theology, these would be the publishing house representatives I'd be talking to, was really low sales for um, their publishing house, and in particular, women's theology. And I was really disappointed to hear that. And that was a repeating kind of concept. So when I was telling them that I was writing a, a Bible study on a Old Testament, uh, an Old Testament Bible study series focusing for women, um, their heads just kind of tilted. I mean, why would you ever do that? You're not going to sell. And they weren't trying to be discouraging. They were just trying to be honest that this is what's happening right now. But that really didn't discourage me. It actually motivated me because I know know how the power of God's word has impacted me so significantly. And so clearly we need to do some work here. So that was actually something that actually um, motivated me even further to dive into what I was planning to do. Um, I think that when you look at trends, they often kind of correspond to what we see social media doing right now tend to be a lot of devotionals, a lot of uh, sound bites, Christian sound bites that kind of encourage you for the moment, but don't necessarily train you for the marathon. Uh, scriptures that don't necessarily come packaged in an understanding of the full narrative of scripture from Genesis to Revelation and the bigger story beyond that, that immediate encouragement that you can get over some kind of social media platform sound bite. And, and oftentimes, too, I find uh, people tend to go for those things that really focus on me. I've got some kind of a need, some kind of a wound that's gaping right now. And so I need something that's going to help fix that immediately. Um, but really, it tends to veer away more so from who is God? Who am I before God? How does knowing God and who I am before him change my worship before him and my understanding that it's not all about me? Um, and yet I do know that God wants to meet me where I'm at. So it's not that it's it's wrong what we're seeing necessarily, but sometimes it's just the emphasis of what we're not seeing that can really send us adrift. Yeah, no, that that's really helpful. And, you know, just thinking about that, the I mean, it's... I think it's obvious and maybe we have to say it over and over again because it's important to remember, but yeah, we do live in that me-centered culture and I automatically think of the the company called The Source, originally Radio Shack, and just like like plastered on the side of their store is just, I want that. And I don't know if that's their new slogan, mm. but it always just strikes me. as just like, oh, like, I don't know. I just, that does not intrigue me to go in there at all because I'm just like, <laughs> oh, I want, it just has that like selfishness yes. kind of attached to it. But it's interesting as you say that because, you know, obviously we know that the the Bible is not ultimately about us, even though it's given to us and benefits us greatly. It is about God. It is about his glory. And I think it's so important because I think you and I would both agree that, you know, the greatest aspect of God's glory is is the gospel. That is the greatest presentation of his of his glory manifested. And that's also for our joy. It's also for our satisfaction, our pleasure. So there's that harmony that comes together with our greatest joy and his greatest glory meeting. So I that's when you talk about that, it's encouraging. It, it'd be good. Uh, for us just to really challenge young adults, particularly women, to see that, yes, your greatest satisfaction and your greatest joy is is harmonized with God's greatest glory. And we need to read the Bible with that. With that. It's not just about you. It's about God, you and God, in a sense, um, some ways. Would you agree with that? 
Yes, absolutely. It actually made me think of a Piper quote that said, I'm just paraphrasing, it's not going to be verbatim, but it's basically, I am most satisfied when I am most delighting in him. Um, you know, I'm more fully satisfied when I'm delighting in him. So it's just as you say that, that as you grow in Jesus, you're delighting in him more, you want to bring him glory more. So as much as that might sound counterintuitive to what your desires might be, well, I don't want to glorify someone else. I kind of do want what I want. Um, as we continue on in the Christian faith, we see that thirst for him and to display him growing as we grow in him. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's so good. Now, Andrew, in a moment, we're going to look at some of the reasons for for why we can, you know, be confident uh, in the Bible's reliability. But even before that, you know, if, if there's no point in how the Bible really affects us, then there's not really a point to talk about its reliability because who cares, right? So maybe the question would be, what is the point? What is the purpose for a Christian woman's engagement with the Bible? And that might sound silly to some, maybe some that are listening that are a little bit more mature in their faith. Um, but I think for a vast majority, it's it's important to just come back to that. Yeah, what is that purpose for why a Christian woman should be engaging with the Word? Why is this so critical? Hmm. Uh, my daughter, she's reading right now a series. It's a Christian biography series of different missionaries. And it's really fascinating to hear all about their lives, all about their details, and you're inspired to be a better person and to, to, to go out passionately like they do. But one thing that you don't come away with after reading those books is actually meeting them. You don't actually meet those characters. Whereas with the Word of God, when we engage with it, He is living and active to meet us there. So we do know about God and learn about that. We do know about the life and work of Jesus. We do hear and discover more about ourselves, but we actually meet him. He is there to be alive and connect with us, to transform us through rebuking us and correcting us and encouraging us and training our lives towards godliness. So to not engage with the word is to not engage with him. So we might need to ask ourselves, well, if we're if we're not engaging with the word, if that's not what we're motivated to do. What is the disconnect there? Do we understand the authority of his word and the power of how he really did carry along these human authors to give us a message to connect with us in a way that is, is personal and meaningful? Um, but yeah, I mean, ultimately as Christians, we want to know God and then we're compelled out to make him known. That is yeah. what it's all about. Yeah. And that, you know, that's such a good point because I just, as I think about that, it's so easy for us to separate who God is from his word, right? And and I think for a lot of us, like we we seek to, you know, I don't know if this is a lie from the enemy. It probably is. It's like you can have a relationship with God apart from, you know, a disciplined, you know, engagement with with his word. And we see that today in our culture too, like not even just with Christians, but just with sort of new ageism, spirituality, this, you know, seeking to engage God without actually doing the disciplined and hard work of like actually engaging his word. So, um, yeah, let's let's talk about uh, the reliability of the Bible, uh, especially in an age today where um, there's lots of young people that go to university, and within the first week, professors might you know speak in rhetorically in such a way that totally discounts all religions or Christianity specifically, and you know young adults' faith seems shattered in those moments, right? So, could you just give us maybe a brief understanding? These are different questions about the reliability of the Bible. So, firstly, how how do we get our Bible? I think that's an important question. Um, that a lot of us don't even think about. So yeah, how, how do we get our Bible? 
Yeah, well, that's a potentially very humongous question, but sure. just very, very briefly. I mean, you can probably say that with the Old Testament, it was probably established as a reliable collection by the time of Jesus, for sure. If you're talking about the New Testament, it's probably that was probably established as a collection by the late second century at the latest, but for sure, it seems by the fourth century. And again, there's lots of historical writings from uh, different people that would that would affirm that. Um, there was a, a, a gentleman named F.F. F. Bruce, as well as some other writers and scholars, and he said, you know, the, the Old and New Testaments, they probably came together as a collection in a much more of an organic process than we might have um, thought, that if you look at the New Testament itself, the manuscripts were just being copied and, and replicated and duplicated, and by the time the Church Fathers came around, it was more just affirming what was already there. Um, but did they have some criteria? Yes, they did. Um, I actually uh, was looking at some work by Bloomberg, and he gave a few criteria by which they would have maybe pulled them together by. Uh, very quickly, one would be just their apostolic nature. So the New Testament in particular, um, was it actually authored by these books, by the apostles, or at least a close associate? Um, what was the orthodoxy of these books? Meaning, did they carry along the Israelite storyline from the Old Testament? Were they consistent with the apostolic teachings of the New? Um, and then he also talked about how widely they were received in the churches. So there would have been, you know, these rogue groups that would have said, I have a secret teaching of Jesus, and it would have not been consistent with the rest of it and really not widely received, just kind of over there somewhere. So they would have thought, you know, like that doesn't seem consistent with what we're going with. Like, we'll look at what was adopted by the larger church. And one thing that Kruger actually had said, too, is he says well, they were also looking at whether they were inspired or not, kind of meaning were they actually, as they were being read, used to mature and edify believers in a way that you could actually see that they were genuinely transforming lives and not just a book that was going back up on the shelf after you read it kind of thing. So that just kind of gives you a gist of maybe some of the things that would answer that question. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as a listener, I mean, she, Andrew just touched on many points there. So any of those, you could go online and she gave some authors as well, F.F. Bruce and Blumberg and some others as well. So that's, you can dig obviously more into, into those things that she said. But one of the things, Andrew, that I think is important that you said uh, was just the organic nature of how it came together. And I think in, in a world today where so many young adults valued kind of authenticity and they value, you know, um, the organic nature of things, I think that's important reality to know that that's, yeah, that's kind of in many ways are, are how are the New Testament collection of books were kind of put together. I think it can be easy. I remember in Bible college learning, it was 327 AD that Council of Carthage, that the, the books were, they're established. And then, you know, in Bible college, it was like, okay, cool. I know that now. But then when you think about it, it's like, well, it kind of makes it seem like, okay, they all got together and they just put all the books up on a stand. They judged which ones were to be in, but, right. um, and that can sort of make people think, you know, uh, well, was it just man's decision uh, which books went in? But like you said, I think there was, there, and there was, it's not, I think there was a really organic nature that there was these collections that this, this started springing up w without even, you know, in a, in a council room or a judge room, it was a courtroom. It was just, this is what the books were. This is what the, these are the Holy Spirit inspired books that were actually, like you said, maturing people and causing people to grow closer to Jesus. So 
And in scripture too, in the New Testament, you see you see how even some scripture cites scripture. So I think it's First Timothy five actually cites Luke ten or something like that as as being scripture. So you've got scripture very very early authenticating itself in that organic process that you're you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. And that's so that's so cool. So um, maybe another question we could ask is, how do we know that these books are are reliable? And I know I guess there's different ways that that you could take the reliability aspect of it. But for instance, like the gospels, how do we know that these are sources that we can, that we can trust? Mm-hmm. Well, some of the common things that you might hear is if you take the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you've got these four eyewitness accounts. And so the argument might go, well, you've got four different people talking, four different styles, four different um, emphases that you may see within the same event, or maybe the same event has things in it that actually appear contradictory between books. Or uh, look at the large number of manuscripts that there are. You see copy errors. How can how can we trust that when you see so many manuscripts and see so many errors like that? Um, so to those kinds of things, I mean, when it comes to different authors, if we're two different people writing about the same event, you are going to see different writing styles. And that just doesn't indicate anything more than that. Um, variation in author style doesn't mean contradiction of content. And you can be citing the same event, but you're not necessarily um, emphasizing the same theological distinctive. I mean, maybe this uh, author was being led by God to emphasize X, whereas the other one was being led to emphasize Y of the same event. And as far as contradictions, um, there's very, very few. I think that Tim Keller said there's maybe a couple that are tricky to get around. But when you see some of the contradictions, it might be something like, uh, Jesus' ascension was from the from Bethany. That's what one gospel might say, whereas another one might say from the Mount of Olives. And so that looks like a clear contradiction until you do some digging and you realize that Bethany is on the southeastern slope of the Mount of Olives. So actually is not a contradiction at all. It's really just requires a little bit more commentary and understanding about what was going on there. And when it comes to those manuscripts, I actually think the volume of manuscripts of the Gospels alone, like there's something like 20 times more manuscripts of, of the Gospels than other surviving manuscripts of that time period, which really speaks to its reliability because scholars are able to look at that large array and to get as close as they can to the original content compared to if they only had a couple. And there, there are people like uh, Bart Ehrman, he's actually someone who would say it's not reliable, but even he says that when you look at some of these errors that are in there, as far as copy errors and misspells, any kind of uh, things that seem off, they're, they're largely just that. They're not major doctrinal discrepancies. That's not what we're looking at here. Yeah, no, that's so good. And, you know, I'm just, I'm glad you were able to succinctly, you know, capture some of the most, the biggest claims against the reliability and you're able to kind of help just reshape them a little bit because again it's so easy for someone like Bart Ehrman to you can read one paragraph of his book such as misquoting uh, Jesus or whatever and because of the rhetoric in the way that he writes um, it, it can be so easy for for young people and even older people too to to feel like everything's shattered because we can't trust the Bible anymore so and as I was doing I was doing some digging just recently about you know what are some of the major 
ideas about the Bible that cause it to be unreliable. And um, I couldn't find too much, but one thing that popped up was the contradictions aspect. And I think that is a hang up for different skeptics and humanists as they engage the Bible is the contradiction. So if, if you're listening right now and maybe you've, maybe you listen to different agnostic or atheist podcasts or YouTubers, and they bring up this aspect of like the thousands of contradictions in the Bible, I'd encourage you to do what Andrew just said. Just do a little bit more digging. And uh, I trust and she trusts as well that you will, you will find that many of these contradictions aren't actually contradictions at all. And, and, we, and we have to remember too that the Bible was written in a different context, different time with different, like you said, Andrea, different um, ways that we would write today. Like not, they're not all chronological like we would want them to be, you know? Um, so that's, that's so essential. I, I see that we're already almost coming up to time. So maybe I'd like to just get to t- uh, one kind of last question here. Well, maybe two last questions. Maybe the first one would be, what should someone do if they do have um, doubts about the Bible's reliability? So I'm just imagining a listener right now who maybe is starting, it's September now, so they're starting their semester at university and maybe a professor has, you know, discounted the Bible. What should someone do if they feel like that's being shaken a little bit in them? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, maybe a, a question that's almost sitting underneath this question is um, if you are going to find something in the Bible that you're not particularly comfortable with, are you uh, willing to submit to it beforehand, right? And sometimes our doubts are not actually because you don't understand the reliability, but it's more, uh, I'm not sure I like what it says and I'm having a difficult time with my heart. <laughs> so that might be that might be something to just think about as we move to scripture to answer some of these questions questions is, is my heart right to before the Lord to submit to what it is that I find there? Um, But as far as uh, the doubts themselves, I think a lot of people can get really discouraged with the doubting. They see this gap in their knowledge and they they quit, they give up, they see that, um, you know, there might be something different in their someone else's perspective and it causes them to kind of really despair but i would just encourage people to uh, be careful what resources you choose but engage with resources who can help bridge the gap like it's very normal to have questions it's okay that you question none of us knows everything and we all um, have been matured and strengthened through the process of finding out answers to questions we don't have so First of all, maybe just normalizing that process. It doesn't mean that your faith is going to shatter. It just means that you're going to mature right now through this process. Um, And also to really be careful about what kinds of resources you use, because there's a lot of people who claim to have a high view of scripture, but I'm not sure that they do necessarily. What does that mean, high view of scripture? Um, There's a lot of scholars that we can trust because they sound really academic um, and so we cr- we trust their confidence and their credentials more than their their accuracy. So um, it's really important to to resource yourself through those questions, uh, questioning time periods, um, with with resources that are high quality and reliable, like what you're doing right now through this podcast and all kinds of other resources. I'm sure you have on your site. Yeah, no, that that's so good. And for every book that's written against the reliability of the Bible and every claim that's made, God has raised up many profound theologians and scholars to to counteract and to provide truth. And you've named some of them already. And uh, maybe a good thing that we could do is just write some out for, for the listeners as well and put on our site from people that we can trust. So uh, as we finish up here, maybe one last question, and maybe it's a little bit more practical, practical one. So 
what does it look like for a Christian woman then to be, you know, invested in, in the word of God? Um, and I, I you know, I, I thought about like, does it just look like reading it every day? Um, or does, is there something more to it than just like, you know, I, d- I just wouldn't want a Christian woman to go away today thinking, well, I got to read the Bible more. But what, what does it look like to really invest in the word? Mm-hmm. Well, I think maybe um, a first a step is to just know that just take one step more than what you are right now. I've seen a lot of people stall, and I know what it's like when I was younger in my faith, too, to really be discouraged. You hear about people who get up and read their Bible for two hours and pray for three, and so you say, okay, well, that's what I want to do, and you off you go, and then that flops, and then you feel so discouraged. So I think the first step is to just take that first step. If you're not regularly praying, try to pray for five minutes every day, perhaps at some point that's quiet. Um, If you're not reading it at all, just start. Don't worry about being perfect or being like that holy mentor that is great that's in your life. Just they got there by training that up as a discipline. So when we're talking about engaging the word, it's going to be something you grow in, not something that you just achieve because you've made a choice and it, it looks perfect. Um, how it looks can really vary. I mean, I think there's wisdom in, in re- you know, getting a Bible plan that you can read through the Bible in a year, say, sometimes, or looking at reading through the, a whole book of the Bible to get that larger storyline scape that sometimes we miss. Um, it's also really helpful to to grab a, a Bible study that can really get you into more specific contents and details of God's character and us and how that applies. And part of why I love studies is because as you go through them, you're going through them in community a lot of the time in a small group potentially. And so you're hearing how God is shaping and using other people which is especially great if in times of doubt, like we've just talked about, you're struggling, you see how God is living and active through other people's lives too. Um, But simultaneously to learning about the word, you're also in a a Bible study format. um, They're training you up in how to study the Bible itself. Like you're actually gaining Bible knowledge skill um, to be more independent in that. Maybe they have you cross-referencing. Maybe they have you looking up different things. So um, that is kind of happening alongside the process of actually learning about God. So, um, And then ultimately, you're engaging with God himself, as we've talked about with some kind of a Bible study. The only other thing I'll quickly mention is uh, I think of Tim Keller's book on prayer. And he was talking about training at Bible study and training at prayer. And I really appreciated uh, one comment that he made, which was, after you're engaging in the word of God, take some time to actually sit with that for a bit and to pray, to meditate, to respond and worship back to God. Um, It's not just an academic exercise, but it's one that's ultimately transformative in our lives. And so sometimes we need to emphasize that piece just as much. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's so good. And that's a great way to end this conversation. So yeah, thank you so much, Andrea, for taking the time to to be with us today and just giving us the knowledge and uh, wisdom that you have gained just to give to us and to help us um, and help our listeners as well. So uh, we'll provide you listeners with in- all the information that you need to know more about Andrea on our episode podcast page, her writings, her blog and different things like that. So yeah, but Andrea, we hope to have you back on the show again soon. That would be wonderful. Thanks so much. Hey, thanks for joining us today. And thanks to Andrea Tom for talking with us. Make sure to join us next week as Daniel, Care Baldwin, and myself talk about issues surrounding COVID-19 and race relations. See you then.
Thanks so much for listening. If you want to hear more, subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or visit us online at indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. We're also on social media, so make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Hi, Ben Lowell, CEO of Back to the Bible Canada's In Doubt. If you listen to today's program, you're either a young person looking to understand how the Bible speaks to current issues of life, faith, and culture, or you're someone passionate to see young people grow in their walk with Jesus and understand the Bible. We want to thank you for being with us and encourage you to touch base by emailing info at indoubt.ca or in the U.S., info at indoubt.com. Also, we want to let you know that Indoubt is a ministry that only exists through the support of donors. So every gift of any amount means so much. For more information, visit indoubt.ca or in the U.S., indoubt.com.